You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at www.newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Will, talking about adopting a sibling group. Hi, Will. Hi, Tor. You adopted a sibling group all at once. So take us right back to the start when you were having those conversations about let's adopt a child, two children, more children. Can you tell us about how that went? I always wanted kids and through dating, a lot of people didn't want kids. So I got to the point in my 40s that I just said on the first date, I want kids. And then that scared off everybody and the people who hung (laughs) around had a second date with and so on. So we always knew, Pete and I, that we wanted to have children. Pete's from a large family, I'm from a large family, and we always wanted a large sibling group. So you were literally auditioning another parent? Yes, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got to the point where um, I'd applied to be a single adopter six years before, and that was kind of in the year 2000, and that was quite a a difficult process at the time in London. So kept getting knocked back and rejected as a single adopter. And then I took a break for a few years. When I started it again, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go through adoption. I want, I was happy to look at surrogacy and, and other means, but I knew I wanted to do it with somebody not on my own. But yeah, five years later, I was just very specific <laughs> when I met somebody and Pete didn't bat an eyelid. He just went to the bar and said, I need to go and get a pint for this conversation. <laughs> um, and then we came back and carried on. That's brave to go in like that on a first date. I had quite a lot of bad first dates, I have to say. So <laughs> you kind of get used to it, I think. <laughs> yeah. So having had that conversation, I assume some time passed, maybe second date, third date, eventually you obviously you know, made your relationship permanent and decided to apply to adopt how was that we decided to move out of london to raise the family and again it wasn't a fantastic experience but as i keep telling people now just keep trying it's always a challenge meeting the right social worker and the right agency and you need to be able to to feel free to tell that that social worker and the agency everything so the relationship's got to be really key so we tried a few and then we decided to move further out and kind of in the countryside, really, to raise the kids. And that's when we approached four agencies, and a couple of them were going through, and that was a mixture between local authority and voluntary agencies. And a couple of them we felt were kind of going through the kind of the process of it and weren't really engaged with us. And then one, the the first phone call I made to our agency, the person on the other end, end of it was so welcoming and so lovely, and that was in 2000 and... 10 that we just clicked and we didn't want to rush it and we chose those and they, they were great it sounds like you just knew when you found them that's really nice and did you tell them then that you wanted a sibling group i know you said you wanted a big family but i guess a big family can come one at a time yeah we had stage one of adoption of the adoption process as you talk uh, roughly what you would like in terms of your family. So during that convers- those conversations, we spoke to our social worker and because we didn't have a huge amount of experience with children, she did her best to put her off, but in a lovely way. 
she was saying, you know, there are, there are issues and challenges you need to overcome. You haven't lived with children before. Are you sure you want to do this? So we spent a lot of time, probably six months, going backwards and forwards about sibling groups and what was the right number. We were quite sure <laughs> in our early days of not knowing anything um, that we would happily have a family of five. So we didn't care how that was made up, whether we adopted two and got three later or adopted five at once. But what our agency was brilliant at was linking us to other couples. So we went and met a family of five to this poor woman who was absolutely wrung dry in an emotional wreck. Uh, but she was right that all of her kids were currently in the teenager kind of age range. And she was really honest with us. But we were so sure. <laughs> it's odd. You just kind of carried on regardless of what news you had. And when we did say to our social worker, because they were always giving us stories about realistic stories about, you know, these children come from difficult backgrounds. It's not like the Waltons. And occasionally we did say we would like to hear a positive story <laughs> about some mm -hmm. children. But what they were doing quite rightly was giving us a realistic picture of what could happen. And that has been brilliant because we have run into issues. But those conversations that we had with our first social workers have stayed with us. So although there aren't surprises, there are sometimes, you know, bumps along the way, but we definitely knew they were coming or had the potential of coming along. So how many children were you approved to adopt? So it had changed just before we joined. There was a fast track adoption process and our agency wanted us to do that and we said no we wanted to take our time and get it right so they were really surprised at that so we took a good probably 14 months going through stage one and stage two at our our request because we did a lot of thinking about things so in the end there wasn't a number associated with our adoption approval but what was written and clear on all the panels and chats that they were really happy about us having five and then we would talk about if the number was bigger than that. Uh, there are no words. <laughs> I'm stunned. I can't begin to imagine. <laughs> I know. It's crazy so, looking back. Our families were thinking we're crazy. And they were, they were yeah. right to think we were crazy as well. But um, <laughs> it's, it's well, been good. Good for you. <laughs> I'm just slowly backing away from you right now. So um, having kind of had those conversations and then you're approved and looking for a large sibling group, what happened during matching? So we were approved in in the August. We decided to get married the same month as kind of a joint celebration. And then we started being past profiles of children. So we were really specific about the type of children that we wanted. And when you go through family finding, you're encouraged, if your social worker is brilliant, to be really honest about what issues you can handle and what issues you couldn't, couldn't handle. And we lived in a small village and we were a gay couple and we wanted to kind of make it as easy for ourselves as possible with the sibling group and with their background of the children. So you can be very specific about, and it sounds quite hard kind of on, on a podcast, but about the level of disability of child that you can cope with. And the social worker would bring profiles of children along the sibling groups. And to be honest, there were sibling groups of two. She never brought us more than two. Um, 
and but we would talk through what the profile of the children meant so we were quite new to it and almost like when estate agents pitch a house profiles are written by social workers in such a way to obviously accentuate the positive but also mention some potential challenges that that child might bring to a family so what was really useful for, for us is the social worker would translate that and said oh this would mean that there is a chance of fetal alcohol syndrome in the child's gestation period so that might have an impact on the ability of that child to learn and and might require additional support it does feel like reading between the lines with some of those reports that you know it says this is a lively child or this child is a little bit withdrawn and sometimes when you start to unpick those things there can be a lot more meaning behind that it is and and our social worker was lovely i don't i keep i know i keep saying that but she really was and she would say this profile is written by a family finding social worker who wants to find a home for that child an adopted home so she is going to put all the positives up there she will mention the negatives but she's going to focus on the positives because also you don't know what's going to happen with that child whatever's written on paper the environment that you bring that child into can make a well can have a huge positive impact on that child and that's not always the case you've got to be realistic but i think you have to go into it thinking that you can provide something better than the child's currently experienced and that's how we viewed it one of our social workers said you know child is is like a broken plate you can't always patch it together perfectly and that was really useful because for a long time when i was going through the process or we were going through the process we kept thinking that love would be enough this child will be a completely well balanced individual and all the trauma from the past will be erased by this waterfall of love that we'll give them and i hung on to that for a very long time and <laughs> you can certainly make the most difference, the positive difference that that child can have. But sometimes there are cracks in that child's background that you can't paper over. And I'm a very positive person, says my husband. And we do our best, but there are things that we can't overcome with our children. But they are as happy and as loving and as caring individuals as anybody you'd meet. So we're very proud of our kids. You're right about that. We all go into it thinking, I will love this child better. And yes, I think it is a learning curve when you think, yeah, we can't we can't solve all these things. We can make them better and we can make them easier, but we can't make them gone. And I think that's quite a learning curve, really. So when was the first time you saw the profile or heard about the children that would become yours? Well, it, it was probably about four weeks into family finding it was not a long time at all and at the time there was the children who wait magazine which did tend to get a lot of bad press because it was a catalog of children <laughs> but we found it very useful because they were much more open and honest in that conversation in that little profile of half a page and our social worker brought the these three children three full siblings to us and they just looked like our children it's really hard to explain the oldest arty was quite grumpy in the photo <laughs> and <laughs> i don't know what it was but i really connected with him and his two sisters so there was a boy and two girls and it's so odd and you're not supposed to tell anybody about family finding because you don't want to get anybody's subjective view on these children who haven't been through training so it's quite a closed personal experience because if you talk about the child you tend to say oh and he's really good at football and he's good at this and 
you won't mention some of the trauma that the child has been through. And this is what our social worker told us. So when the child comes to you, your family and friends will expect this perfect child arriving on the doorstep and will be really surprised when there are some bumps along the way. So we were encouraged to talk about it within the specific children within our social workers and our, and our support therapist who they, they've given us. Um, obviously, we talked about the children in uh, broad senses, but also it felt as if we were rejecting children as well. So when we were looking at profiles, when you put them in a no pile, that was that was always a really hard decision. It always felt it was really hard. I agree with that. When we were family finding, there was one little boy and his photo came up endlessly in those magazines. And even now, I wonder what happened to him. I can remember his name and he wasn't the right child for us for lots of reasons. But I do wonder and I do sort of hope it came good for him, you know. Yeah, um, our, our social worker always said there's a better family for him. If you've said no for whatever reason, um, there's a better family for that child waiting. Don't beat yourself up about it. You're looking to help a family. And that was really useful. So you felt drawn to them, it sounds like, right from the beginning and then found out more and more about them. How were you feeling at this stage, both of you? Kind of ignorant and uh, super <laughs> happy. We'd, I was so elated that we'd got the adoption approval because it's really hard to explain to my f- friends who had children at the time who had conceived of them naturally that the whole process felt like this huge weight on our shoulders that we were going to be told that, that these social workers had the power of control over our lives. So obviously we couldn't have children ourselves. So they were a gatekeeper to our future happiness. That's what it felt like after the event. So once we were approved, that felt like a massive milestone in its sense, in it in itself, and that, that was a great feeling. We were in a super excited state from in family finding. It really felt as if we were closing in on our family. That's what it felt like. It sounds like it had been a dream for you for so long that you must have felt that you were finally arriving at this destination. Yeah, it was. Uh, Peace and I had been actively talking since our first date from 2005 and it was seven years later I myself had been thinking about it probably for 15 years but Pete was also super as excited and actually his family was much more supportive than my family as well so that was that was a lovely thing that we were doing as a as a a couple and everything we had done since we met really was focused on moving out of London finding a house preparing our lives for children you know it was really planned for so to be finally through that was amazing really amazing but also I didn't want to rush it so but these three children this photograph really spoke to both of us and we had them at the breakfast table the profiles with us when we went out in the car and we had other profiles with us but this set always stayed with us for about a week and a half (laughs) that's really lovely and we talked endlessly about the social work and the children did have quite significant trauma from their background. They'd all suffered from serious neglect. So no food, no heat, heat, no toys, no nursery, no schooling, nothing. So they hadn't had any social interaction and their parents hadn't had enough wherewithal to provide that. So it was the oldest Artie had a 
you know, he was quite angry the whole time. But you would be if you never got fed and you were always hungry and you never got attention and nobody cared about you. And then you were taken away from your parents. So you would be an angry little boy. But having said that you were concerned about taking on children with high levels of need, actually that that doesn't, to me, sound like a very straightforward sibling group. That sounds like kids who've had a really difficult start and who, as you say, are going to arrive with you with those problems right there. You know, how did you feel about that? So we felt like this was an easy choice. I know it's crazy. But when you go through family finding with your social worker and the whole adoption process, the children who are waiting for families do not come from little cottages with roses from the door and have a super happy childhood. Most children are not given up voluntarily and therefore they do come from difficult backgrounds. We specifically didn't want children who had a background of sexual abuse. We specifically didn't want children who required regular hospital treatment because we thought if we were taking on a sibling group, how would we juggle school, hospital visits and time with family life and what we wanted to give the kids and ourselves was a chance for normality, really. So that's really what we were looking for. And although the children had a difficult background, it was something that we felt that we could help get them across by stability and love and nurture and more of the same, just over and over again. We just thought if we create a really quiet family life where their needs are met, we can help them as best we can. It's a good way of saying it the way that you've just said, because I think that with adoption, it's not, do you want a child with no issues, some issues or loads of issues? I think it's much more about which of these issues are you most capable of dealing with? Because your child is likely to have some. And it's really personal that, yes, we could deal with that. No, we couldn't deal with that. We would want to deal with that. We would not want to deal with that. And you kind of form this list of yes, these are within our comfort zone. And that's what you take forward, isn't it? So your list wouldn't look like my list. My list wouldn't look like the next person's list. But there isn't that option really of we'll have a child with absolutely no issues whatsoever, please. It just doesn't really work like that. No, and your social worker should lead you through those because you get a form that you have to tick. And it sounds awful, but you say, I will accept a child who ha- who is blind and deaf, but I won't accept a child who's got a history of sexual abuse or maybe you don't want a child who's blind or who's got limited sight or limited mobility. So we were in the physical disability isn't an issue for us. Blindness and deafness wasn't particularly an issue for us because we, we were attaching a, uh, adopting a sibling group and we thought we could cope with that with the right support. But then the social worker takes you through a reality and our social worker took us to a family with a child who had quite complex needs and was thought that wouldn't need a feeding tube for long, but the child was six. That that family had had the child for four years and was still on the feeding tube. And that family was lovely, and they were still super excited they adopted that child. And he was a lovely little boy, and, and all other respects, there wasn't really any issues apart from that feeding tube. But that did cause some developmental delays. But he wasn't. He was catching up. But when you hear about the hospital visits, the refitting of the tube, the infections and we'd have other children, then that built up for us maybe that we shouldn't go down that route. Yeah, I can understand how you arrived at that. And 
we had similar conversations about we we would do X, we would not do Y, um, and partly as well balancing need with other children. So tell me what happened next. So we progressed and we kept going back to this one family unit. And then I called the children's social worker. So our social worker said, no, that you should call. Because if I, our social worker said, if I call her, I'm going to relay it all back to you. So pick up the phone and call her yourself. So, and that's what I did. And I think I was on the phone for about three hours and she was super lovely as well. And she'd seen the children that morning and I'd asked about whether there was an issue with us being gay and she told me to stop being so stupid <laughs> and said why <laughs> and uh, and that's really what it was like the whole process really you know it, it was very very supportive and she immediately went on to okay what kind of house have you got do you have any dog <laughs> dogs she was in full social worker mode thinking okay this is a good couple they're interested in a group of three I'm going to motor on down. So before long, I had given them my whole life story and she knew the size of the house, where we were, where the rivers are, where the ponds were, how many dogs we had. And we agreed to talk the next week. We, I think we talked, spoke four days later on a conference call with Pete, my husband, and we agreed that we would go up and meet the children. But the condition was we had to have a, another what's called the team around the child meeting. So before they would introduce us or give our, our details of us to the um, foster carer, they wanted to know that we were serious. They didn't want any disruption for those children at all. So we then travelled, it was out of area, to the local authority and with our social worker and walked into a room with about 14 other people in this room. And then we could ask any questions we wanted about the children we could ask any, there was a medical advisor, they could ask us anything, which they did. And we had a completely open and frank conversation about a sibling group background, our background, being gay living in the country, the background of the children, the children's parents, the children's grandparents. It was full on and it was all day. And well, it was about till three o'clock. They provide sandwiches, so it was fine. Um, <laughs> That's all right. It's worth it. And by the end of it, Peace and I were crying. Our social worker was crying, and about half the room was crying. I don't know why. We were just all, we were all <laughs> such an emotional wreck. I think they were thinking it was so lovely that we wanted to adopt this group together. And what turned out at the end of that meeting was that they were just about to split the children up because they couldn't find a home for three. So. There was a lot of emotion in the room that we didn't know about until the end of that room. But we decided to go forward. And after we decided to go forward, they let us know that they were really happy because they weren't sure that finding a single home for all three of them was going to be that easy. So really for your children, it was you guys or separate homes? Yeah, and and it seemed awful at the time that they would even consider that but looking back now I can see there would have been benefits to providing you know separate homes for some of the children because their needs are so different and complex I mean I would never split them up you know and we absolutely love them dearly but from a social worker point of view I can see that maybe putting them in a family family where they would be the sole child might have made more sense because they would get into a family unit quicker and and Social workers always want to do what's best for the child, in my experience, and they were really keen to try and make it work. If they split the children off or kept them together, they 
child, children's social worker really wanted to keep them together because they were so close in age. So it, we agreed to go away, have a think about it. They were really good to always give us a week. And then we went and we arranged a meet up with the children. I'm just wondering how, how are you all now? How's day-to-day life? What's it like to have that many children? So that was seven years ago. It doesn't feel like seven years ago, I have to say. Although the amount of food they eat <laughs> means they are growing up. Um, <laughs> we're on our third washing machine. So that, that tells you something about the amount of washing we do. Never a dull moment. There are always different factions going on about who's siding with who. So meal times are always, in my head, I'd imagine that we'd all be sitting around calmly discussing the events of the day. And <laughs> it's normal that she's looking at me like this. Why won't she close her mouth while she's eating? Why is she taking the last bit of profita roll? You know, I never have a calm, even though I say, the kids can we just have one meal <laughs> where we just sit <laughs> and pretend to be a pleasant family but it's all just kind of kid stuff because they're all really close in age that you know so there are, there are quite a lot of competing demands for attention at that table and about how many sausages each of them get <laughs> and stuff in competition of course which i hadn't really thought about but competition is quite <laughs> key uh in how the house runs uh, but generally it's a pretty normal house I shout at the kids to tie their bedrooms. They ignore me. I shout at them to tie their bedrooms. They ignore me. I say they won't get any crisps. They tidy their rooms <laughs> or at least shove everything under the bed so it looks tidy, which I'm happy with. And, it's the same. It's fine. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the, the most challenging thing has been finding the right schools for them. So, yeah, I, I guess school is the hardest because it's outside of your control. You can control everything within your house to a reasonable extent but what you can't control is when they're in the classroom and how the teachers respond and how much information do you give the teachers about the kids past to excuse their behavior or to explain their behavior so uh, schooling has been the biggest challenge but i think we're kind of on a relatively even keel as much as we can be anyway and what i always say to adoptive parents who come and see us or potential adoptive parents is go on to mum's net and have a look at all those kids who've got families who've got birth kids and all the problems their children have got at different school, uh, all the different problems that their children have got at their schools. And it's just the same for adopted kids. It might The volume might be turned up more. You might have specific issues from whatever the child's trauma was. But to be honest, you know, go on to mum's net, makes yourself, makes yourself feel much better when you see everybody else having a similar time. Thank you so much for talking to us so honestly about quite an incredible journey, really. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more teams.